We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Um, this week, no game. It's the international break. Our players are at a warm weather training camp, hopefully bonding in the way that they did at the last warm weather training camp, which led to our little unbeaten run. Um, I'm Charlotte Robson, joined today by very special guest Simon Beard from the Daily Mirror and, of course, Mick Martin of uh, True Faith Veteran. Um, thank you both for joining me today. Um, today we are going to talk Eddie Howe. We're going to talk Newcastle generally, sort of, but I, I do want us to get into Eddie Howe a bit because there has been a lot of talk on social media, in the press. Simon, you yourself wrote an article, which I'll talk about in a minute, um, about Eddie Howe and his responses to the press when, um, when asked about Saudi Arabia and their human rights uh, record and current situation most notably recently they uh they executed 81 people in one day and eddie howe was asked about it in a press conference i think after a game simon's contention in his article of the 15th of march was that he has to address that kind of thing he's the manager of newcastle united or he just risks looking like sort of a puppet a pawn for the regime in a way um I believe Mick sits on the other side of the coin. Um, he's so outraged by that that he seems to have dropped his phone. Uh, not that you can, not that you guys can see. Um, so, Simon, talk us through sort of a pricey for those of us who haven't read the article. Um, give us a pricey of how you feel. Yeah, so I think um, it was after the Chelsea game, and it was the weekend where the Saudi regime had executed eighty-one people, was it? And yeah. um, obviously, he's, he's Eddie's after the match there. The, the, Politics is very much um, part of that match with Chelsea and Newcastle playing. So the background was, was Abramovich had had the club taken off him. He'd been sanctioned, um, and politics had intervened in football in that in that um, arm of things to Chelsea and the money they've had and um, the investment they've had from Abramovich and effectively the the, the um, plundering of the Russian state by Abramovich. And um, so Eddie Howe was then asked about it by. So I think the line of question was fairly aggressive, and the way it was done wasn't wasn't really great for Eddie Howe in in after the Chelsea game. They were kind of monstering him and wanting him to very much lay his colours on the line as to what he thinks about all the 
human rights and executions and concerns that there are about the Saudi regime. Now, the way the way it was done, I think, was a bit aggressive by the reporters in London. I mean, that's what happens when you, you're dealing with England reporters and people who are kind of, you know, covering clubs like that with no, no real link to Newcastle. I think it got a bit out of hand. And I think Eddie, back, Eddie Howe backed off a little bit and would only say, um, I'm a football manager, I'm sticking to football, that's it. So he, he wouldn't engage in anything other than you wouldn't even acknowledge the issue. So it, in my opinion was, I wrote the, the next day, and I think Gary Neville um, said it on, on on the Monday night as well, on, on Sky Sports, on the Monday night club, and, and Carragher was saying that the argument is politics is now very much football, part of football. Football's made itself political. Um, Black Lives Matter, um, Marcus Rashford's food campaign. Um, there's been a lot of examples of, of people getting involved in issue-led things which are, are political. Now, so... My argument is that you can't then be getting your money from be it Bramovich or someone else, you know, Dubai, um, sorry, the, the Abu Dhabi, um, or Saudi Arabia without some way, some way being a football manager and the figurehead of that club engaging in what is happening and acknowledging it. So my my only argument was not that Eddie Howe needs to say the Saudi regime is terrible. My argument was that having been monstered on that after that Chelsea game and just back, backing off and giving a one-word answer that he's a football coach, that as a football coach and a modern one and a, and a, and a very intelligent one, Eddie Howe needed to recognise that there was an issue and say that he'd read up on it and he was aware of what was going on and that he's a man of the world um, and he's a man who reads about these things. Um, he didn't, and I, I never wanted, and it's impossible for him to say his real opinion, whatever it may be. Um, about your employers when he's in that position, you, you just can't do it. Yeah. My argument, right, my argument was that he had to come out and say, "Look, I know there's an issue. I know you're asking me about it. I've read about it. I know about these things." And just, just to, just to say that basically, and that's what I wrote in my column. It was, it was right at the bottom, by the way. <laughs> by the time you got to it, so um, I, I wasn't criticising for not for, for for not having a go at the Saudi regime and what's going on. I thought you had to recognise it because political, because football has become political in the last year or two. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting point. And 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 then, do you think because in a subsequent press conference, and Mick, I will bring you in in a minute. In a subsequent press conference he did he said I'm the player with the with the newspaper under my arm and I am the one who uh who reads about this stuff and it is really difficult um how much do you think your article directly influenced that comment I'm not sure I think I think Neville and Carragher probably influenced the debate really? more than I did but was um, that did, but did that tick that box for you enough I think it did. I think he went as far as he could. He, 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 I mean, it was a really nice quote about saying he's been brought up in a family where, where you know, politics and issues are always on the, you know, discussed around the breakfast table and his mum and dad. And that, that's what he was when he was a kid. He was, he was engaged in everything when he was a kid. And when he was 19 years old uh, and a player at Bournemouth, he used to get on the, on the team bus with a copy of the Times. I wasn't happy about his choice in newspaper. <laughs> I especially about the Times as well. But um, he said the times and he, and he gets on the team bus and he, and he would read that and he would get funny looks from his teammates saying, you know, why are you reading the newspaper like that? Because obviously not many footballers would in those days would read the times. Um, so, so, yeah, he, he addressed it and he said he read around it and he said he could he should engage in it more. But he also said that he would be on dangerous ground if he started spouting off his political opinions on everything, which is very true. And I understood that. And I think most people do. Um, and he also said that his specialised subject is football, and that's what he wants to stick to. So I, I think I think we had we had to we as a group of local reporters, 
being a bit more gentle with him and talking talking it through with him as we did, rather than being aggressively aggressive line of questioning. I think we talked that through with him and we did tick that box. I don't think I think it was an issue that day because it was Chelsea and Newcastle. <clears throat> um, and I think that box is ticked for now. I think he'll be asked about it again if they do a Saudi tour in the summer and maybe we're invited and we go along and do some pre-season training or whatever promotion they're going to do. He might be asked about it again if um, there's a big Saudi sponsor announced and it's attached to the government, whatever. So I think these issues will come up now and then, but a lot of people reply to me on Twitter saying, well, you can't ask about this every week. And obviously we can't, but when it becomes topical, we've, we've got to ask those um, got to ask those questions and and I think he answered it pretty well on that Wednesday on the, the, the night the day before the Everton game and I think they take the box for now and I don't expect anyhow to come out all guns blazing and, and say that executions are terrible or they shouldn't bomb Yemen or whatever he's not going to do that he's employed by them and I think it's fair enough the answer he gave that day and Mick just to bring you in now I Am I right in thinking you think that the questions themselves are unreasonable and you shouldn't even be asked them at all? Yes, I do, um, to a very large degree. Um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll say for why. So I'm really gratified that Simon has framed the discussion in the way he has, that he believed that the London journalists at Stamford Bridge, in particular, monstered Eddie Howe. Um, and I've kind of written that I think I've considered that um, a man in a tracksuit was almost the quarry for a, a hunt of uh, a pack of um, of journalists who all seem to be in competition to show how much they're outraged by human rights, uh, albeit um, their, their uh, inconsistency and um, hypocrisy in some areas is, uh, is quite open to see, particularly in the case of Jonathan Wilson of The Guardian who uh, loves to have a go at um, at the, the whole setup at Newcastle United and conveniently forgets to mention that he worked for Arab News, which is so close to um, the Saudi state as to be wafer thin. And then you've got Ollie Holt as well, who's on the record at the mail. I mean, the mail. And some of the strength of his language has been abysmal uh, and referring to Amanda Stavely as um, a gangster's mall. Could have only been Amanda Stavely that he was referring to is way, way over the top. So should the question of football ownership, uh, football club ownership be addressed? Absolutely it should. And it should be in a far more wide-ranging manner than it is because I'm a traditional football supporter. I'm probably left of centre. Simon, you and I probably agree on a lot of things outside of football as well as inside. Uh, and it's not my ideal scenario that uh, the public... Uh, investment fund of Saudi Arabia owns Newcastle United, but nor is it that the Glazers own Man United, that Cronkite owns Arsenal, that Fenway Sports Group own Liverpool, etc., etc. I think you know that's we're, how we've got to this position is is through straightforward greed um, and the growth of the of the growth of the game. So that's a much bigger and broader set of questions for the football media, which I have to say, Simon, it seldom addresses. Um, so that there is all of that. So for my, my opinion, yes, should ownership of football clubs be investigated and scrutinised, etc.? Of course there should be. But uh, where, I take, where I take a difference with you, Simon, is, is this thing that a man in a tracksuit, five minutes after he's watched his team play, should be asked about, you know, the appalling, say, the appalling situation in Saudi Arabia of 
81 people being executed. You know, I, th I think it's really distasteful as well. And I think it's a, it's tr it's a sensationalization of a very serious issue, but also a trivialization of it as well, because it inevitably falls within the tribalism of football. And then you have Newcastle fans, uh, out of which I'm one, become very, very defensive of our man and our football club. And I think that isn't great for the wider debate. Um, but I don't think the likes of Miguel Delaney and others really, truly appreciate that. Um, and I think they come from a very, very narrow focus. I could go on and on and on about Saudi Arabia and about its relationship with the UK and the nonsense that is spouted about they shouldn't own a football club within social, economic and political architecture, which means that they've got the Prime Minister going out only this week, cap in hand, to the Saudis to beg them to increase their oil production to preserve the fuel energy security of this country. But on the one hand, I have the kickerball journalists talking about this is terrible at the one Newcastle United. The dichotomy of the two is nonsensical. Yeah. I, I agree on that. Randall, I Randover, um, Simon, sorry. Yeah, so yeah. There's, a, there's like a kind of an absolutism about the argument that the columnists, um, like Ollie Holt and stuff, who I very much admire on a lot of issues, um, is an absolutism about the way they frame the debate. And it's, it's basically sadly bad. Shouldn't be in football. That's it. Now, the argument that a lot of Newcastle fans make when I post anything about this on Twitter uh, or on the website um, is, well, yeah, what about we do, we do 11 billion a trade um, with Saudi? They're a strategic partner in the region. Um, they help us on a lot of things. Um, so it's and the, the debate then becomes focused through whether Saudi is good or bad becomes focused through a football club when clearly it's massively wider than that. You know. Boris, like you say, Boris Johnson went for, to just strike a ten billion pound trade deal, wanted to turn the taps of the oil on to reduce our oil prices. You know, we, we're living in a globalized world, and if the government, if the government decrees that they can't trade with us because they're such a bad country, fair enough, don't buy Newcastle. But the government doesn't say that. There's a government, it's a government level thing with diplomats involved that should decree whether we can trade with Saudi Arabia or not. You know, and, and focusing all on a football club. And all on, all on, and and very unfairly on a group of fans who want to enjoy, want to separate the ownership of the football club and simply enjoy their club being ambitious and invested in again, is is a, is a very difficult. That's what winds Newcastle fans up, and I absolutely get that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't. You, from from my point of view, people go, well, "You're going to benefit from Saudi investment." I am. I already am because um, people want to read more about Newcastle. They're going to be more successful, and it's a much better club to cover now than it was for yeah. 10 years you know and I, I'm going to benefit from it so I can't be a hypocrite and say it's all bad I'll keep asking questions about stuff that happens that's linked to the PIF because there's always going to be that link when the crown prince is the head is the chairman of it so that if that was, link wasn't there it'd be a bit more detached but mm. he's the chairman of it so there's always going to be there's always going to be that link there but to I think there's got to be a separation made between a group of 52,000 or more fans saying I'm really enjoying this. I'm loving the fact that they spent 94 million in January. I'm loving that we've got players that, that are invested in the club now and are going to make us better and that we're going to maybe look at the top 10. There's got to be a separation from that and and the issues around the Saudi ownership because yeah. Newcastle fans have got to be allowed to enjoy the club because they don't get to pick who own, owns it. You know, they, they can't help that. They, they can benefit and enjoy the fruits of who owns it, but they, it's not their fault that Saudi have, have bought it. So... You know, that, that, that gets the heart of me. 
That's exactly it. And uh, we're going to pause for some messages from our sponsors. Now, if you hate messages from sponsors, you can join us on Patreon at £6.60 a month. We do tons probably too many extra podcasts but la- big spectrum of stuff so please do consider joining us across on patreon we'll be back for part two where we talk more about eddie howe in just a second we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Part two of the Newcastle United podcast. Um, thank you for sticking with us. It's Charlotte Robson, Simon Bird, special guest Simon Bird from the Daily Mirror, and Mick Martin, also a special guest. Don't doubt it, Mick. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about Eddie Howe and his responses to pretty difficult questions about a pretty difficult ownership. Um, let's talk more about Eddie in general, Simon. What's been... Um, What's been the most uh, surprising thing to you since he's since he's joined the club? Well, should we do a word association? Eddie Howe and Newcastle United. Should we, should we do a little like everyone throws a, a, yes. a few words? You know, I, my dad. My dad calls word association word association football. That's his little joke there. Yes. Um, well, okay. Well, I'll start. I, I mean, thoughtful. Okay, thoughtful. Like, Thoughtful, detailed. Mick, what word do you associate with Eddie Howe? Professional, hardworking. Love it, love it. I um. For me, it's unity. It's that like unity. Unity, yeah. Yeah. I've got trustworthy, intelligent, modern on my on my little list here as well. Uh, Is the dog okay? We got a pause. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think. All of those words are uh, all of those words are appropriate. We've got a dog break. It's okay. We're dog. We're a dog friendly podcast. Dog break, yeah, it's Oscar. <laughs> the postman's just delivered something, and he's gone mad. So he's Excellent. quite. Um, sorry, about that's that. very. It's very cartoon dog. Does he have like a string of butcher sausages as well? <laughs> yeah, 
he's here now. So. Okay, okay. Oscar's joined us. That's nice. Uh, yeah, I think all of those words. It's really nice. Oh, you guys are there so unlucky listening because we just got a we just got a glimpse of Oscar and he's very beautiful. Um, yeah, I think all of those words are the are the are it, aren't they? And they're really the antithesis of what we had before. Um, it's just been it from a fan point of view, and I'm sure Mitt, you agree. It's just been such a lovely turnaround. It hasn't. It wasn't like this. It wasn't immediate. It was real worked at, like um, considered, um, thoughtful approach to the way that he's managing Newcastle United. And and from my perspective, I just I've loved w- watching it grow. From your perspective as a journalist, how's it been? I mean, is is it maybe less fun to cover? <laughs> Well, I think you get straighter answers from him. So, and we've got to work at getting a kind of a headline out of him, which is which is <laughs> fine. I mean, that, some of the best. I mean, Rafa was like that as well at, at times. You know, it was. But I think the thing that the person that he reminds me of Gareth Southgate actually. So, that kind of personality where um, the old school, maybe from 10, 15 years ago, of having a big name, egotistical manager who's follow me, get get behind me. I'm the big man, right? That that's gone now, I think, in football. And Southgate kind of proved that and set the tone with England by by, by being a kind of a manager who brings people with him by talking to them and and explaining things properly and leading in a kind of quiet, considered way. And I think Eddie Howe's kind of brought that to Newcastle. He kind of he he reminds me that the style is very similar to Southgate in that I don't see this guy's he's figurehead of a football club, possibly the richest in the world, with massive ambitions, and he's not. He's not going about his job with any ego, which I really like. I like the fact that he's he just gets on with it. He's understated. He's doing a load of work behind the scenes that we don't even we can't even appreciate the stuff that he's doing till midnight, watching stuff and planning sessions with his staff, all the staff included in this, by the way. And I don't see I don't see this massive ego, which can be a problem at football clubs, which rubs players up the wrong way. And I'm sure he's got a tough side because they all have to get to that level. And I'm sure in private he could probably be really um, you know, dish it out and, and go through them. But um, I quite, I really like the way, I think it's a very modern way that he's leading. And I've covered the under-21s in the FA and Southgate for, for a decade now. And, and it, it reminds me of that, the way the way he's going about it, how he, he brings people in, and makes people follow him. And it's all about the team. It's not about his leadership. It's about bonding a lot of lads and getting the chemistry there, which works. And I think with two or three additions in, in the summer, um, and that chemistry all already forming quite nicely amongst the group they've got now. I think that, you know, he could lead it. I would love him to lead the club for two or three years. And we know, we know he wasn't first choice. And we know that, you know, they went for the Unai Emery and maybe others as well. But I think in the end, they've landed a guy who, who is kind of quite revolutionary. You know, he can, he can, he can build this club, build this club very nicely. Yeah, Mick, you and I talked a little bit on a podcast we did a while ago of uh, the interview with Amanda Stavely and Murdoch Gaddusi, where they said they wanted Eddie Howe to be our uh, Alex Fer- Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, from everything Simon's saying there, it sounds like well, it well, it would go beyond two or three years if it was if it was really an, an Alex Ferguson esque uh, tenure. Um, do you agree that he's a Southgate esque? Do you agree that he's sort of modern? Do you want? him to be our Alex Ferguson what do you think it's a very interesting point Simon raises and I hadn't thought of that comparison between uh, Eddie Howe and Gareth Southgate but it's a compelling one um, and I, I think I would extend that to um, 
uh, Graham Potter at Brighton as well. There seemed to be, uh, I don't know whether or not it's a class thing as well, Simon. There seemed to be more middle class, if you like, as opposed to, um, you know, the scrappers that, you, that have played, you know, come up through the ranks and been, you know, played for the local boys club and then been picked up and all of that kind of thing. They seem to maybe have a different background. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they, you know, could have gone to university if they weren't great at football and all of that, all of that kind of thing. So that might be a societal football kind of shift as well. As, as well. Um, but it is, it is an interesting one. And I, what I, what I like about him is, is he's, he's a kind of, is the lack of drama. And the um, and Newcastle's been a club, which has gone from one. Well, it's been described as a soap opera, hasn't it? By by many people over a, over a long period, and um, and when people have said that to me, you know, non Newcastle fans or your club's a soap opera, I've kind of winced at the truth of it. But I think with how he seems to not want to have our club in that world, so there's a calmness about him and a reflect a reflective side. Um, which uh, which I really really like. Um, so you know the the last person he is is a joke in is a joke in here. Sorry, Simon, um, and um, and you know our Graham Sooners who was just full of his own self importance etc. So I do recognise that, and I think that's a that's a difference in terms of them being a second choice to Emery. I, I I think he probably was, wasn't he? Let's be honest. He you know he probably wouldn't been there if Emery had a, accepted the job. But sometimes in life there are happy accidents, aren't there? And, uh, I, I kind of when you were saying about the Emery thing, I was put in the mind of Bobby Robson signing Craig Bellamy. Bellamy wasn't Newcastle's first choice. Francis Jeffers was, and Jeffers wouldn't even speak to Newcastle. He went to Arsenal and was injury prone, and that you know never lived up to his potential. Unfortunately for him, and we got Bellamy, who was brilliant for us. So sometimes life just provides you with these gifts, doesn't it? And perhaps house in that category. That's such a nice way to think about it, isn't it? Like life, life just—it's gonna just work out. And I think as Newcastle fans, we've been so desperate for life to get it to work out for us for a little while that it—you're it, absolutely right. I think as you know, you could even look to things like Johnny Van der Beek not wanting to be in a relegation scrap and then being part of like a, an ineffectual part of a, a pretty terrible Everton side. Although they beat us, but the less said about that game, the better. Um. Yeah, I think that's the thing about Eddie Howe, isn't it? It's this this calmness, this approach. Um, Simon, from your perspective as a journalist who gets to presumably speak with Eddie or you know interact with the players, that's the side I'm very interested in. The players seem very. I mean, everybody's improved, right, since Eddie Howe came in. Um, do you get much interaction with them? You don't have to name any names if you've got any good sources, but like what, what sense do you get from that side of the fence? Yeah, you do bump into people around the gym and town, etc., um, who are on the inside and they are positive about him. And I think they, they recognise that change was needed when Steve Bruce was in charge and things got a bit lax and things needed sparking up. I think players need to be, you know, if you're, the players these days are like actually really serious professionals. If you, yeah. if you if you talk to them, they're they're dead serious about what they do. They're not they're not living the life, uh, you know. When you know, thinking they're the big men in town, and they they all go out and do that. But generally, they're dead serious, quiet lads who who like to laugh and also want to do well in their careers and they take their careers seriously because there's a lot of money on on the table and at stake for them doing well and getting better. I mean, it's the difference between them having a good half season and getting a new contract is millions of pounds to the yeah. 
family bank accounts. So they're driven people and they wanted to be challenged more and they wanted to be fitter and they wanted to be better. And I think they recognise they've got someone there who's got a whole range of training sessions and thoughts about the game which will make them better. And I think when a, when a manager can't offer that, can't offer them like a future pathway to improvement or staying in the team or getting a move or a better contract, then then you've lost them. And I, but I think at the minute, Eddie Howe's definitely got, got them buzzing for that. I think fundamentally, like any Premier League footballers, going to be competitive, aren't they? They're going to want to be the best. And OK, maybe you look at your... The, the top top tier of, of Premier League footballers and think, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be there, but I can still be better than I am. I think you don't get to be a Premier League footballer unless you're competitive and unless you're pushing. And I think that there was a lack of competitiveness. I mean, even like openly said so under our last manager, it's the ticking along comment, I know what my remit is, all of that stuff. And you just, you lose that kind of... Um, that edge, I think, but I, I don't know, Mick. Do you agree? I, I think our players have have an edge back since since Eddie has come in. Def, definitely, and 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 you know, and that's a that's a, a really neat summation from Simon about what it what it means to have a half a season, etc. To you know, to have a run of ten great games in the Premier League, etc. So those play those players um, have to be the best that they that they can be. So. I think there's there's challenges for all of the players now because if they want to stay at that club, then they have to be at the best most of the time, and they can't you know they can't just phone it in like several of them might have done over over the years because they knew the club was never going to really replace them, and then he you know where we were in the in the last eighteen months when Ashley was just extending contracts because it was the cheapest thing to do. That sends all of the wrong messages to a group of a group of people who need to be on their toes, and I, I, what I'm hoping is is that you know the competition for places in the team will heat up as well, um, so there'll be you know new players coming in. I think there will be a challenge for for Eddie Howe in maintaining that trans you know manage that transition from having the likes of um, I don't know Paul Dummett in the team uh, or in the squad to having a 30 million quid player who's not getting his game. I think that that's, that's a challenge yet to come. It'll be a nice one when it when it happens. And I think there will be players who do really well, um, you know, who might spin out of the team. You know, I'm thinking of Jacob Murphy. I think he's done all right. Um, he has an unha- uncanny knack of missing sitters, Bain, but um, he needs to, uh, you know, he's done really, really well. But long term, would I see him as, you know, getting us where to what where we want to be, which is, you know, Europa League places, Champions League places, probably not. So managing that transition where players will come in who will have that ego, will want to do much better, etc. That's the challenge for Ed, for Eddie Howe. But, you know, I'd previously thought when he got the job that he was there to do the heavy lifting for somebody else when they went, you know, so stabilise the club, get us into the top 10 and then, you know, there'll be a stellar kind of European manager appointed but I'm not so sure now you know I think the messages that they have sent is is that this is what Eddie Howe could have if he just keeps winning football matches and that that, you know that's a message that goes through the club isn't it just keep winning just keep doing well and you'll stay as soon as your standards drop then questions start to be asked but that's a really healthy professional environment yeah, I absolutely agree. And I second the just keep winning or just mm-hmm. restart winning as we may be. Um, just to kind of round out the podcast, 
Simon. And to play devil's advocate, am I playing devil's advocate? I'm not sure. My brain doesn't work very well today, so you just have to bear with me. You, we talked at the beginning about Eddie Howe and questions um, on human rights and Saudi and and all of that. And and to to sort of in your contention being that he does have to address them. He's being paid by by the owners of the club. He does have to address them. Now we've talked about players. To what extent do you think players need to be answering those questions as well? They're also taking enormous wages from from the ownership. Yeah, and it will become a point. Well, we'll have to get in front of players to ask them. I mean, with COVID restrictions, we've not seen many of them officially to after games and to throw these kind of questions in. But mm. if you look at what's happened this week in the England camp, where the England players, probably by Southgate's behest, have had a lecture on human rights um, and uh, all the, all the issues around the Qatar World Cup, and they've mm -hmm. actually had a lecture on that so they can understand what it's all about, and then you know, formulate their feelings on it. And I think in the next camp in June, they were planning on making a statement or doing something around that. So if England players can be educated on that very contentious issue and the deaths, building the stadiums and that kind of stuff, um, then Newcastle players, you know, should be reading up about the issues of their employer, from the, about their employers. And maybe... But, uh, just, 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 to, just to be slightly tricky with that... England players aren't being paid by Qatar. Newcastle players are being paid by PIF. That there is a difference there. Yeah, PIF so are probably means... not going to run a lecture series on what what they're up to in Saudi Arabia. No, but a, a rounded football club, you you could. I mean, I think one of you talk about Graham Potter and the stuff that he did when he was abroad in his first managerial jobs, and where where he had them acting and in, uh, in plays and in. And basically created rounded human beings. So they were they were they were engaging with every issue and everything was discussed as part of the team. It's just a way of stimulating your players. So you know, I don't expect Newcastle players to start coming out when they're when they're employed by Newcastle um, and making a stand against what's going on. As I said before, that's a government thing, a government level thing to do. But I do think it's healthy for them to say that they acknowledge the issues and they acknowledge there is an issue and there are problems and you know, um, yeah, any anything which which any any of those problems that with, with the Saudi regime, if they want to pick up and say there is a problem, that's fine. I don't expect them to to really put the boot in, but I think as rounded human beings, like a lot of footballers are, they should be doing that. Yeah, I don't think I would expect them to put the boot in either, as we wouldn't expect Eddie Howe to. Mick, what what's your take on that? Do you think that they should be sort of reading up and saying, yeah, it's terrible? It's an interesting one because actually the Qataris do pay their wages, so you know there is a um, Premier League there is a Premier League level TV deal with BN, which yeah. uh, has a contract with the Middle East and North Africa, uh, worth hundreds of millions of pounds, and all of that money goes into the Premier League, and most money in the Premier League goes into players' wages. So uh, indirectly, they are paid by the Qatari uh, state. Uh, and their uh, their reputations will be burnished by playing in the in the World Cup in Qatar. So um, I'm not anti-education at all, Simon. Uh, and it is important that people brief themselves on it. But ultimately, it's meaningless because it's just a gesture, and they'll still go to Qatar uh, as will, will will the press pack. Um, and it's, the Italy games will. Yeah. Who? Sorry. Italy won't be. Just... Oh no! Sorry, Italy won't be. Uh, unfortunately, don't tell Emil. Uh, <laughs> and they'll um, and they'll have um, uh, 
you you know they'll be paid to do so so yeah there is a there's a degree of gesture empty gesture stuff that worries me that people think they're doing something and and that they're making a difference when ultimately they're just not you know so it's slacktivism writ large in some in some uh, regards you know let's start a twitter campaign you know against vladimir putin okay he'll be shitting himself won't he you know that <laughs> jimmy from jaro is his has wrote a strongly worded tweet you know so it's kind of um it's 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 kind of in my opinion it becomes a little bit pointless and it's a bit meh you know what's the point of all of this but i'm not anti-education if we're, the more people understand about how money works and how football works and indeed how sport works golf formula one horse yeah. racing um you know and um sorry to rant on but you know three days after three days after the tottenham game our chairman was presented to the her majesty the queen at buckingham palace in a civic reception so it's kind of how much are you expecting here in Turkey to make a difference to world politics etc it's kind of it's a little bit of a misplaced amount of attention i think <clears throat> yeah I, I don't disagree I, I think it's tricky isn't it because if they did nothing and they said nothing then it would be like why are they ignoring these issues but if you said yeah. yeah look i think you know i'm learning about it it's terrible it's like well you're doing you're not doing enough like what does that really mean i think it's very difficult and it's and i think that's why people's backs get up isn't it because it's such a i think from my perspective it's all such a big it's so, it's so big. It's such a big problem and, and, and yeah. concept to even get your head yeah. around. To so start are, thinking about yeah. how to deal with it, mm, I don't... Yeah, but there are people who are responsible for the governance of the game yeah. and for sport in, in, in gov.uk. And, you know, Nadine Dorries should really, don't laugh, should really be um, articulating the government's posi position on sports participation with countries with human rights violations etc she needs to step up and do that rather than eddie Howe or kieran trippier or dan Byrne. so you've got you've got all of those kinds of things and then the premier league richard masters when was the last time he was asked a question by the press pack simon and i think some of this is down to a frustration and sorry to go right back to the beginning but eddie Howe gets asked questions because he's in front of you uh, and you can't Whereas the likes of Masters and others, you can't get at them. So he's a he's a an available target, if you like. So, sorry to use that word. All right. Well, and Simon, do you want to? No, I was going to say. I mean, these issues are not going to go away, and Saudi are going to own Newcastle for years. So I do think Newcastle fans could relax should relax a little bit when the issues are raised because there's a little bit. I think. There's a little bit of paranoia that it's only them getting it and it's just Newcastle United. Well, it's not because, as Mick mentioned before, like horse racing, the Saudi Grand Prix this this week, and um, the golf has had, I mean, the golf, the issues surrounding the their, their rogue golf tour or, or their, their new golf tour, um, they've all been debated. And it's not just Newcastle. It is whenever they're getting involved in a sport, the, the same issues are coming up that we've covered over the last two years associated with Newcastle. So it's not just Newcastle being picked on and the issues will keep coming up. And I think people, people's own positions are becoming more clearer now and we're realising it's a more, it's a very complex, independent, um, interdependent world. Um, and the blame isn't just coming down on Newcastle's, on Newcastle's head. It's it's just a global issue, which is now, is now involved in football. So, you know, yeah. I, I think people should relax a bit. 
I agree. Let's all let's all just have a nice relax. It's spring's it's here. <laughs> it's sunny. The hours gone forward by the time we put this podcast out. It is springtime. Let's all just relax a little bit. This these issues aren't going away. Um, it's important to continue talking about them and considering them, but we don't have to get het up about any of it right now, I don't think. With that, I think we'll round off the podcast. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining us. Thank you so much, Mick. Um, and thank you so much to you all for listening. If you want to listen to more podcasts like this, do join us on Patreon. You know what to do. We ram it down your throats every week. So um, it's £6.60 a month and there's lots more podcasts there. So uh, do do think about joining us if you haven't already. Thanks so much both and thanks everybody. Stay 